Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, again, we thank you. As the Lord instructed his disciples, so we follow the pattern of being able to call you our Father. Father, we know that you are the Almighty One who was and is and is to come, the Creator, the Sustainer, the Great I Am, the Self-Sufficient One. You, you did not need us, and yet out of your great love and mercy, you determined to set your love upon us. You chose us. You have redeemed us through the sacrifice of your Son. You have sent your Spirit so that He might continue with us and guide us and convict us and really secures us. And we know that as we have been justified, we will also someday be glorified. And we thank you for all this because we know that it is your plan. Your plan for us as believers. And we ask that we would appreciate all that you are doing that we would submit to all that you are doing, that we would be teachable for all that you are doing in our lives. And especially as we come to this whole concept of slavery, being slaves to righteousness, slaves of God, slaves for Christ. Give us wisdom, give us insight into our own lives, Help us to be pliable. Help us to be able to understand and then apply this principle and these truths to our lives. Knowing that they will be a tremendous blessing to our lives and a tremendous blessing to you as we apply it. And again, for all these things, we ask for the power to do it, that we might glorify you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to take out your bulletin, you might want to get the outline. We're not in one particular passage today, but we will be running around some of the New Testament. The other reason is there's just a lot of stuff there in the outline, and then if you miss it, you can maybe highlight it. By the way, let me uh, just, the last few weeks I've been meaning to give an update Some of you have asked, and I'm thankful for your prayers. Um, This last week I ended up in the emergency room on Tuesday, I guess it was, uh, with a blockage. A couple days before that, three, four days before that, I had um, tried to start lifting weights again, and the doctor said no. Uh, so I think what happened is some things happened after I lifted weights. And if you ever go through what I've gone through, don't do stomach crunches. They don't help you. They hurt you. <laughs> um, while I was at the doc, I, I ended up having a doctor's appointment right after I got out of the hospital. It's, I think it was 7.30 that morning. I got out on Wednesday, but I uh, had a blood test. And Though my levels are within normal, they still rose, which is not good. So I don't know if, if anything's coming back. But, um, you know, I, I had another CAT scan and they didn't show anything. So uh, I will say this. I am so very, 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 very grateful that the Lord has allowed me to go through this trial at this time in my life and not like 10 years ago. Uh, I am so grateful that the Lord has been showing me a number of biblical principles that have brought peace beyond understanding. And one of the greatest principles that has been bringing peace to my heart every day is the one we're going to look at today. So this this, this study we're doing is really more for me. Well, for us, but because it has been such a blessing to me, 
I said, you know, I, we just need to see this. We need to see how we are before Christ. What is our identity? What's our identification? So you may ask, well, why did you go from 2 Corinthians 5 to this? And I know we're getting the Ecclesiastes, Lord willing, but it's because this has been, this has been one of my um, uh, anchor points, one of my rocks. One of the, I feel like it's this big rock in the midst of a turning sea, churning sea, and I'm chained to this rock. And I'm like this, but the rock, and the rock is the truth of who we are, who I am, who all of us are in Christ. So let's get into our study today. I, I'm actually going to ask a first question that's kind of different from where we're going to end up, and that is, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Now, it's interesting that the followers of Jesus Christ were not called Christians until about 10 to 15 years after the church was born in Acts 2. And again, they were first called Christians in Antioch. That would be Antioch of Syria. By the way, before that, they were called disciples, they were called brothers, they were called believers, saints, followers of the way, because of John 14, 6. But then they were called in Acts 11, verse 26, Christians. And by the way, this was a term that was really a term of derision by the unbelievers. Okay, it was, a, it was really a term of ridicule. What they were saying was, you are of the party of Christ. That's really what they meant by Christian. You're, you're one of his, the party of Christ. He had all these different parties, you know, and you're the party of Christ. And again, it was ridicule. Um, again, remember Corinthians where it says, that Christ was a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks, you Christians. That's how you have to think about it. Now, the Christians took that term of ridicule and made it a badge of honor. Okay? Because yes, we are followers of Christ. Yes, we are, let's say it this way, devoted, loyal followers of Christ. Amen? By the way, are you that... Are you a devoted, loyal follower of Jesus Christ? And do, you, do people around you know that you are a loyal, devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you a secret service Christian? See, they wore it as a badge of honor. The Christian Yenoi. Versus the Kaiser Yenoi. I think that's how. Which would have meant this. The Caesar's party. See, they had the other term, the worldlings would say, I am of Caesar. But that's why the Christians grabbed a hold of this term of derision and made it a badge of honor because they said, no, no, we are, we are of Christ. And we are going to be loyal to Jesus Christ. And we've gone into that a number of times. We give our full allegiance, not to, the, not to Rome, not to any government. Our full allegiance goes to Christ alone. Got a story coming out of the second century. This is what the man said I am a Christian. The young man said nothing else as he stood before the Roman governor, his life hanging in the balance. His accusers pressed him again, hoping to trip him up or force him to recant. But once more he answered with the same short phrase I am a Christian. It was the middle of the second century during the reign of Marcus. Aurelius, Christianity was illegal, and believers throughout the Roman Empire faced the threat of imprisonment, torture, and even death. Persecution was especially intense in southern Europe, where Sanctus, that's the guy's name, Sanctus, a deacon from Vienna, had been arrested and brought to trial. The young man, I find that interesting, the young man, sometimes we think, oh, it's only the older that are going to be faithful to Christ. No, no, the young man repeatedly told, was told to renounce his faith, he professed. But his resolve was undeterred. He just kept saying this, I am a Christian. No matter what question he was asked, he always gave the same unchanging answer. According to the ancient church historian Eubius, Sanctus girded, quote, girded himself against his accusers with such firmness that he would not even tell his name, he would not tell the nation or city to which he belonged, and he wouldn't even say whether he was bond or free. 
but answered in the Roman tongue to all their questions, I am a Christian. When at last it became obvious that he would say nothing else, he was condemned to severe torture and a public death in the amphitheater. On the day of his execution, he was forced to run the gauntlet. You know what the gauntlet was? Ran through and people beat you just to get to his execution. Subjected to wild beasts and fastened to a chair of burning iron. Throughout all of it, his accusers kept trying to break him, convinced that his resistance would crack under the pain of torment. But as Eubius recounted, quote, even though they did not hear a word from Sanctus except the confession which he had uttered from the beginning, his dying word told of an undying commitment, his rally cry remained constant throughout his entire trial, I am a Christian. End quote. I, I love that story. I love. I mean, no matter what happened, he went right back to the foot of Christ. See, that was his identity, and and you find that it that that for the early Christians, well, actually, Christians throughout the entire church age, it, it wasn't important about their name, their citizenship, their social status. Nothing mattered. What mattered was their identity with Jesus Christ. And that's what mattered to this young man. No matter life or death, whatever came, he was identified with Christ. That's what defined him. That's what should define us. That should be our identity. Again, we can find a lot of different identities in this world. This world offers a lot of different things that we can find identity in. But when it's all said and done, our identity is in Jesus Christ. Because we are His his sons, His daughters. We are His friends. We are joint heirs. We are heirs. But we are also His slaves. Our identity is found in Him. And if our identity is found in Him and we are that clear, what that shows is that we love Him. (coughs) When given the opportunity (coughs) to witness for him. Remember, to do so means that you love him. And you're showing that. Yes, I am a Christian. Now again, does this world look at Christians with derision? With ridicule? With you foolish people? You have to have a religious crutch called Jesus? That's what they say. But it doesn't matter. That's the same thing that the first century. Thankfully, at the moment, we're not being strapped to an iron, hot iron chair. But the point is that we have to remain faithful to Christ. Again, that's, that's what a believer is. But how else are believers identified? Again, we're identified as aliens. Uh, Peter talks about us as pilgrims or strangers. Philippians talks about us as citizens of heaven. John talks about us light, lights in a dark world, that we are children of God, sons of God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, members of His body. We are His sheep of His flock. (laughs) We are the branches and He is the vine. We are like newborn babes. We are like athletes. We are like soldiers. There's all these metaphors, all these identifications. But as we were talking about last week, the number one metaphor that is used most frequently than any other is the word picture that again you might not expect because again you don't see it much in the in the in the uh, in the translations of the english text but it's it's a it's a metaphor that is absolutely critical it's the it's the metaphor of being a slave okay the image of a slave that we are as the scripture says slaves of god and slaves of christ Again, this word slave means doulos. And some of this is repeat at this point. Just, I just want you, because if you weren't here last week, you're saying, what are you talking about, slave? See, we have all these metaphors in Scripture. And so many times we go back to the fact, you know, we are sons of God and children of God and joint heirs and heirs, and all that is true. But if you want to say, what is the main identity of a Christian? It's not those. And I, and I say it on the basis that those do not appear in Scripture only a handful of times. Sometimes only one or two times do you hear like friend or sons. Well, sons would be a little bit more. Um, join heirs, heirs. Just a few times you see it scattered. And that's true. Those, 
That is our relationship with the Father. That is our relationship with the Son. There's no question about that. But if you say, what is your, what is your primary identity as a Christian? It's you're a doulos. You are, and which means the word slave. We are slaves of God. I think I left this quote in your notes for a second week. According to Murray Harris, slave or doulos occurs 124 times in the New Testament. And it's compound form, soon doulos, which means fellow slave, ten times. And the verb form, the verb form of it, another eight times. So if you add that up, it's more than 140 times. More than 140 times the word appears overwhelmingly in, in reference to Christians. Now again, sometimes you use that word slave for an inanimate object, like slaves of unrighteousness versus slaves of righteousness. Okay, so that, that word is also used in that context. Or if it's talking about an actual slave, they'll use the word, like in the English text, you will see the word slave, not the word servant. See, most of the time in the English text, what you're going to see in your English text, instead of translating the word doulos, slave, which it should always be translated. Remember, I, I read that quote from Kittel, that big theological dictionary. And basically he said in summary, the word doulos should always be translated the word slave. It should never be translated the word servant. It never means servant because a servant was free and a slave was not. It should always be the word slave. And yet in the English translation, because of our history and some other things, the translators almost consistently, unless it's an inanimate object, slaves of unrighteousness, slaves of righteousness, or if it's talking about an actual slave, which you can't get around that one, like in Ephesians 6.6, 6. other than that, they will usually veer to uh, translating that the word servant or bondservant. But that doesn't give the full oomph, <laughs> the full force, the full clarity of what that word is. See, if I call you a servant... That, that gives one flavor. If I say you're a slave of Christ, that's a whole different flavor. Because as a servant, you might say, well, I'll pick and choose and determine, you know, and I, I have a whole lot of free will here. Well, you have free will, but if you're a slave of Christ, that means you have a free will to do exactly what He says. Okay? And to not do that means you're disobedient. By the way, if you want to get good... Tra- uh, uh, not a, they're good translations... Um, one is by an individual, his name was Goodspeed, I think back in the 30s. In his translation, he, he was a Greek scholar out of Chicago, and, and in his translation, he always translated the word doulos, slave. So the Goodspeed translation is a good one. Uh, the other one of recent has been the Holman, H-O-L-M-A-N. I believe that one also consistently translates the word doulos, slave. Because again, they know that that's what the word should be translated at. Now thankfully, some of the more recent translations, like the ESV, uh, a number more times, like in the King James, I think it only appears once. In the uh, ESV, I think it appears more times referring to Christians as slaves. But the point is, is this. It's, it's a word that should always be re- uh, uh, translated slave. <coughs> now again, <coughs> the New Testament... The New Testament writers were not fearful of, of, of referring to themselves as slaves of Christ. And I, I gave you a few, only give you a few today. Titus 1.1, Paul, a bondservant. No, no, no. A slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's how Paul referred to himself. James 1.1, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, that's not what my translation says. My translation says bondservant. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, was very, very comfortable. In fact, the first words out of his mouth as he's writing his epistle is, James, a slave of God. (laughs) Jude, the other half-brother of Jesus. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now you would actually think from a human standpoint, if you're a half-brother of Jesus Christ, you would say, Jude, a half-brother of Jesus Christ... (laughs) Called to be an apostle. Oh, and by the way, a uh, servant of, Je- or of Jesus Christ. No. Nope. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. He wants, because what did Jude want to do? He wanted to make it very clear that he wasn't on any special relationship in the sense because of his family relationship. 
I'm a slave of Christ, even though I'm a half-brother. Peter, same thing, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. And what we saw last week was this. Well, maybe this is just the church age. Maybe this is just the New Testament. What about Revelation? And you can go all the way, and you could do a long study on this, but you go all the way to Revelation 22. Now, this is where all the saints are now in heaven. And you say, well, maybe by that point in the game, you know, God has just called us maybe friends, sons, heirs. But in 22 verse 3, it says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His slaves shall serve Him. (laughs) So in heaven, Christians, those who serve God are called God's slaves. So the point is this, we never... We'll never, be, we'll never stop being called slaves. We're slaves. In fact, that's why in verse 4 when it says that he shall, uh, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. Because that's what you did with slaves. You named them. You, you marked them. These are mine. By the way, that's a really good marking that it's on their foreheads. That means permanent, secure. These are mine. And so his name is on our foreheads. Being a slave of Jesus Christ may be, and I do believe it is, the best way to define a Christian in their relationship to Christ. I believe it's the best way. And again, once in a while in the English text it comes out, um, if you wanted, well, Ephesians chapter 6, I think we might have looked at it last week, but it's there. I mean, at least he refers to himself. Now, some of the versions still don't pick up on it, but Look at verse 6, it says, uh, verse 5, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. Now, that should be slaves. And he's talking about literal slavery there. See, even the New, New King James, verse 5, doesn't do it. It should be slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Verse 6, again, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. No, no, I should say as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Now, I only bring this, even though my version should be slave, and, it's, it's, and I think the New American does say slave. Does the New American say slave in verse 6? Yes. yes. How about the ESV? Yeah, probably. And anybody got the Holman? Anybody have the Holman here? Ah, what does that say? Slave, I'm sure. Um... So, yeah, slave. But see, the reason I even bring this up is because at least you can see where it should obviously be slave because he's actually referring to slave of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So this is our identity. And and again, I think it's a huge identity. This brings so many blessings to the Christian life. That's why I'm harping on this. Well, I'm harping on it because it's scriptural. But I'm emphasizing this because this will bring you so many blessings. It alleviates so many problems in your life. If, if you're a... I mean, all those other metaphors are excellent, and each one of them has an emphasis, right? I mean, when you talk about that we are the branches and He is the vine, what is He emphasizing there? That He is the sufficient one. We can't do anything without Him. When he talks about we are his sheep and, and uh, he is the shepherd, what protection, provision. I mean, it, though every metaphor, when he talks about us being literal sons, hey, we are connected to the family. We are adopted into the family. We have privilege and love by the Father. I mean, those are very, very important. Do not say, oh, what you're trying to say is minimize those. No, all I'm trying to say is let's emphasize and bring up higher the, the, um, the idea the truth that we are slaves. Because with that comes peace and humility and true identity and focus. Because let's face it, with a slave, the difference between a slave and a servant was a servant was free, a servant could have many masters, a servant had to keep wondering who to serve and who to please and how to provide for themselves. And many times there's even stories where like a slave got became free and now all of a sudden they had all this pressure to try to figure out what to eat, where to live, where to, you know, how are they going to get their necessities of life because they're no longer under a master. But when it, when, if, if Christ is our master, He takes care of all that. And, and, and even though the life of a slave is hard, because it was, I'm not going to say it wasn't, it was a hard life, but the life of a slave was very simple. 
You only had to please one. Your master. Okay? And it really makes your life a lot more simple because if our identity is not in Christ, you will try to find your identity in everything else. That's just how we are. We are always searching for identity. We're searching for importance and significance and respect. And went to a men's conference yesterday and and he he was making the point that men search after success, um, success, respect, and children. Children in the sense of someone coming after me. All that's found in Christ. I don't have to worry about success. I don't have to worry about uh, respect. And when it comes to children, it just I'm part of a family. Okay. I mean, every all those big things are solved. And like I said, if we don't, if we don't uh, focus on our identity in Christ, we will find we will seek to find our identity in the stuff of this world, things, relationships, degrees, intelligence, all this other stuff, winning teams. You know, all this, it's all fun to have entertainment. I'm not, but, but the point is, that's not our identity. Our, our identity is found in our master. By the way, that's how it was in slavery. The identity of the person was found in the master. Okay? And uh, again, in that day and age, in the Roman Empire, between one and five and one and three were slaves, depending on where you were. If you're out in the country, big Roman empires, one and five. If you were in a city, most likely, especially Rome, if you came across a hundred people on the street, most likely uh, 33 of them were slaves. Huge population. Huge, huge population. Now again, the negative connotation, uh, let me add a little bit from last week. Slaves were rightless. R-I-G-H-T, less. They had no rights. They had no rights. No, they, there was no protection under the law for a slave. They were powerless. Let me just stop. This is human slaves to human masters. Just remember, we are slaves to the good shepherd. We are slaves to the, the God who is loved. We are, we are slaves that He loved us so much that He sent His Son to die in our place. Okay, just let's remember that our master is... is Perfect in love, right? Perfect in perfection. <laughs> but again, there was a huge negative connotation. They had no freedom, no rights, no ownership. They couldn't own property. There was no legal recourse in, in the court of law. They couldn't even give testimony in the court of law unless they were tortured first. Because they figured a slave would lie, so they had to torture him to make sure he was telling the truth. They had no citizenship. They could not be a citizen while being a slave, they had no possibility of doing what they wanted to do. They had no master came along to a slave and said, Mr. Slave, tell me how I can fulfill your dreams. How can I help you find your purpose driven life? Well, if you're saying the purpose of the slave is to please the master, then I agree. By the way, Mary, uh, they couldn't even marry. They had common law, like I might have a female male slave, you know, 25, 30 years old, whatever. I might allow them to uh, cohabitate. They might have a child, but that child was mine as the master. Uh, I might sell Mr. Slave and separate family, and Mrs. Slave and child stays with me. Um, Again, the child was owned by the owner, the master. And again, the retribution could be great. By the way, uh, slaves, uh, it, it could cost like five, six hundred denarii. Now, a denarii was a day's wage, which means this. Uh, a slave was costly. I mean, I mean, if you got a, a field slave, they would be cheaper. But, I mean, if you're talking five, six hundred denarii, you're talking almost a two years wage. Let's say in today's, let's say a minimum wage, twenty thousand, forty, forty thousand $40,000. If you had a, if you had a, uh, uh, if you owned an individual that was worth a couple years' wage, you're not going to beat them and, and, and hurt them unnecessarily, right? They're a tool. As I said last week, they were a voiceless tool. They, the, the idea was, um, I mean, they had a voice. Uh, they, uh, uh, they could speak. They were a speaking tool. That's how I should say. It. They were a speaking tool. Most tools didn't speak. Your hammer doesn't speak, but I have a tool that speaks. That's a slave. Those are all negative things. But again, the positive, if you were, if you were owned by a, a master that was a good master, then all your necessities were provided for. Um, 
you found yourself cared for, provided for, protected, treated kindly, compassionately, the families would often uh, bring you in like one of their own, no, but you still, though they considered a slave a person, it was only determined by the master. In other words, the greater the master, the greater the master loved you and cared for you, the greater your, your standard. And that's why slaves, to get to Caesar's palace and Caesar's household, if, if they were part of Caesar's slaves, then that was actually a high standard. That would have been a higher standard than a free person that just had to work and you know, live on subsistence. And again, um, a lot of different laws. I won't get into it, but you kind of get the, the flavor. Owned by a master, but if the master was good, then there was tremendous benefits, especially in a day and age when there was no social structure for you know, how could people provide for themselves. Uh, you would rather be a slave. In fact, many people sold themselves into it because if I can get a master that takes care of me, it's better than me being free and having to take care of myself in a world of great uh, deprivation and stuff. Again, I know that as I'm talking about slavery, this is countercultural. It's distasteful to modern man. I got a quote that I'd like to just read. Um, because again, I understand all that. What makes slavery unique? I'm starting to quote. What makes slavery unique as, a, as an unequal relationship is that, it, is that it denies the slave any existence as a person. That's, that's distasteful for us. It denies the slave any existence as a person independent from that which his master chooses to grant him. See, that's exactly how... Whatever my status was is because the master... Determine that for me. At the heart of slavery, ancient or modern, are the ideas of total dependence, total dependence on another. That's distasteful to American Christianity. The forfeiture of autonomy, can't tell me. By the way, that really destroys the self-esteem movement. The sense of belonging wholly to another. A slave lacked the power of refusal in the sense that he knew that if he refused to obey his master, he could suffer dire consequences. By the way, Part of the chastisement of the Lord is when his sons, which are his slaves, do wrong. Now again, we would say, you know, this is very, very distasteful to us. And it is, but we're looking at it from a historical point of view. Think about it, first century, when they're not looking at it from a historical point of view, they're looking for, at it as their life. Many of the people that receive these, these letters are slaves. Let me end quote. If the language of slavery is offensive, the offense would have been considerably greater for those who lived in the societies where slavery was intrinsic than for us who, for whom slavery is simply an unpleasant and embarrassing memory, end quote. So really why I'm reading that and, and encourage you to say this, you know what, if it's distasteful, countercultural, uh, if you say, but I love my personal freedom, and uh, freedom of choice and autonomy. You know, I, this, this slave talk is controversial, confrontational, politically incorrect. I would just encourage you to say, well, yeah, that might be a bad memory. But again, if it's the truth of Scripture, re just realize that the, the first century Christians accepted it, embraced it, and actually said it of themselves that I am a slave of Christ. And, and if you say, well, give me one last example. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, because here the greatest of all servants became the greatest of all slaves. And Paul says in chapter 2, verse 3, and we often quote this, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. That, that verse right there is talking about humility. Have humility in your mind. Have a giving, have a generosity towards others. Don't look at yourself proud and put others down. No selfish ambition. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interests of others. But look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you. What mind? The mind of Christ. Let this mind. Now how do I get humility? How do I get self-sacrificial love towards my brothers? Well, verse 6, who being the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. 
came in the incarnation, taking the form, and it's so sad that our versions don't say it correct, taking the form of a slave. So if you ever have a problem with being a slave of Christ, just remember that Christ was a slave of God. Because He came to do the will of the Father. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted Him. (coughs) Because He was willing to be the slave of God, God highly exalts Him. So, we are embracing slavery. We are embracing being like Christ. This is what discipleship really is. When Jesus would say these words, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. That's Christ's words. Matthew 10, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Why? (coughs) Because a slave's affection was to his master. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. That's slave talk. Uh, Luke 14.33 Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's slave talk. Because, it, because, a, because a slave owned nothing. See, renounce everything. Deny yourself. Deny your autonomy. Deny your values, directions. It's all about me. I don't know about you, but even my flesh, when it's in the flesh, grates against that. See, if you're saying, oh, I I can buy into it, I don't think you're understanding what I'm saying that the Scripture's saying. Because this is where the flesh says, no, you won't! Let me end this message by talking about what characterized a slave. And and I've, and I've touched on it throughout the last two weeks, but let's, let's put them down crystal clear five different things. What characterizes a slave? First of, all, first of all, absolute ownership. The Roman law considers slaves to be, again, property in the absolute control of an owner. That's absolute ownership. That is what slavery was all about. Again, hired servants could choose who they worked for. Slaves belonged entirely to their owner. Now, if you think about the New Testament, oh, wow. I painted it out very quickly last week. We'll paint it out a quick again. But what did an owner do? What did a future master do? He went to the slave market. He went and looked at the slaves. He chose his slave. He determined to pay for his slave. He purchased his slave. And then he brought the slave out of that market for his own. You know, there's three different words for redemption. The word redemption. And they actually paint that out, those last three movements of slavery. The one is agorazo. The Agora was the marketplace. This is the per- to, mer- to purchase in the marketplace. It means to buy. It's the word, this, this Greek word is used in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, when it says, you have been bought with a price. That's sacri- the, the sacrifice of Christ. You've been bought with a price. In other words, the purchase price for the believer's life was the death of Christ. You've been bought. The first uh, word for redeem means to just buy. The second word is ex agorizo, which means to buy out of the marketplace. So not only is the Greek saying we've been bought, but like in Galatians 3 verse 13, it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Verse, chapter 4 verse 5 of Galatians, redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So here, the word is not just that we were purchased, but we were purchased and then we were taken out of the marketplace. I.e., we're not going to be resold to another master. Once Christ buys us with His blood, we are His and He takes us out of the marketplace. The slave market of sin. Okay, he takes us out of the slave market of sin. But then the third word of redemption means to loose, to obtain release by the payment of a price. And this is in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things 
like silver, gold, and all that, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. So the believer is purchased out of the slave market and then set free. Now, now catch this. Set free from sin's bondage. See, he, we're, not, we're never set free just to do whatever we want. You know, go fulfill your dreams, find your purpose, find value in your life. We are set free from sin and Satan in the bondage and slaves of unrighteousness. Always know this, you will always be a slave of something or someone. That is, that is the human heart. The human heart moves to worship. You are always worshiping. You are always finding your identity, your success, your value in something or someone. So if, if Christ just set us free and said, now you figure it out yourself, you don't have to, then we would immediately move towards what? Something selfish, sinful, so he said, no, you are now set free from sin and bondage to sin and Satan and all that. One of the characteristics of a slave is absolute ownership. The believer is bought, owned, and therefore secure. Like I said earlier, his name, that's Christ's name, shall be on their foreheads. <laughs> um, many times when... Um, um, a person was captured in war, the uh, captor would write his name on the slave. Right? And so the great commander, the great soldier Jesus Christ went to the cross, purchased our salvation, and now he has taken us, bought us, taken us out of, and set us free to now serve him. Absolute ownership. Do you see how that solves a lot of our Christian problems? I don't have to. There's a lot of things I don't have to even have to worry about, because all this, all this entire life that we are talking about right here, as I was saying in ABF this morning, is like a dot, a very small little dot. And Christ keeps telling us, you know what? Just remember that you have the entire line ahead of you. That's eternity. Just know that you're bought and you're secure. Number two. And the characteristic of the slave was that of complete and constant availability and unquestioning obedience. Availability and obedience. Availability and obedience. Being a slave did not just mean being owned by another. It also meant obeying that person in every way. Uh, the scholar William Barclay writes this, quote, after all, slaves know no law but the master's word. They have no rights of their own. They are, they are absolute possessions of their master, and they are bound to give their masters unquestioning obedience. End quote. See, they have to obey their masters. So, when it says in Corinthians, you, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. Now, we just looked at bought with a price, redeemed. But, but the part before that says, you are not your own. See, that's why you're not your own. You've been bought. You've been bought, taken out. Now, everything is towards the Master. Constant availability, unquestioning obedience. When the disciples heard in Matthew 28, uh, go therefore and make disciples, they, they weren't taking that as a suggestion. They, okay, so my whole life, is to go and make disciples. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I will work at a job so I can provide for myself, so I can live, so I can eat. But my goal is what the Master just said, is make disciples. Can you imagine if every one of us determined that's what our goal in life is? See, it's not all these other miscellaneous things and setting ourselves up for this, that, and the other thing, you know, making sure our future is secure and all this other stuff, which I think is so funny because if you see where America's going, what God is going to do to everybody that thinks that way is take the rug and go, <laughs> and for all your worried anxiety, I just flip the rug out from underneath our feet. No, what did Jesus say to his disciples? Go make disciples. Be tent makers. We are all tent makers. What do I mean by that? Well, most of it. I mean, I, I'm being paid to do this and it's a consistent thing, but the reality is we should all... You eat and live, but you eat and live what? For the purposes of unquestioning obedience to the Master. 
Find out what he wants and do it. See, that's the mark of a genuine Christian. Remember what 1 John 2 says, By this we know that we have come to know him. <coughs> what? If we keep his commandments. We know that we know him. We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Why? Because Christians are slaves. That's slave talk. Again, going back to 1 Corinthians 6.19. You're not your own. You have been bought. What? Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's slave talk. Glorify God. Do what is pleasing to Him. Do what He wants us to do. So that's the second one. Constant and complete and constant availability and unquestioning obedience. Which means in this world, that will, that will entail sacrifice. That will entail sacrifice. See, the world tells you this. Oh, if you want to have that religious thing, go ahead. But, you know, don't be sacrificial about it. Certainly don't be sacrificial in your time and what you have and your wealth and your abilities and what you call spiritual gifts. Don't, you know, just give a little bit. Unquestioning obedience. He has equipped us to be a blessing to each other. That spiritual gifts. He has given us resources. And all that should be used for the Master. It would totally change some of the way we look at life and how we are dealing with life and what we are doing with our life. If we just... In constant availability. Lord, if you give me an opportunity, I will speak. Because it's not about me and my little self-esteem movement and little kingdom deal. But it's about... You told the disciples, which is telling us... Make disciples. Number three, singular loyalty. Now, the word loyalty could be devotion or allegiance. In other words, single dedication to one. The life of a slave in the New Testament, again, was difficult, but it was quite honestly very, very simple. It was very simple. Slaves only had one primary concern, and that was to carry out the will of the Master. That's why in Matthew 6.24 it says, No man can, excuse me, I almost slipped. No one can be a slave to two masters. No, you can't be a slave to two, two masters because you can't please two different people. What he's pointing at is this singular loyalty. If our loyalty is to Christ, then our loyalty is to Christ. That's what Paul was referring to in the Thessalonica letter. Uh, 1 verse 9, it says this, how you turn to God from idols, that was their God, from idols, to serve, dulio, which means slave, to be a slave to the living and true God. 1 Thessalonians 1 9. You became a slave from idols to the living and true God. In other words, you had to leave your idols to be a true slave of God because no man can uh, be a slave of two, two masters. Singular devotion. Complete devotion to one. So, so how does that play out? Well, in, an, in the areas that are, have a direct command, a slave knew what the direct command of the master was and was required to obey. Direct command. Well, let's take a direct command. That's many of you because you're married. It says, husbands, command, love your wife. Husbands, plural, love your wife. You know, in other words, each one of you have a wife, love her. Now, you don't understand. She's no longer making me happy. She's no longer as pretty as she was. She's no longer, you know, I thought when I got married, she was always going to agree with me. God, she's no longer agreeing with me. It's only been like three years and she no longer agrees with me. You know, and she, man, in the morning, have you ever seen her before she gets in front of that mirror? Uh, I just think I don't think I can love her. I don't feel like I can love her. I don't know if I want to put the time in. You know, I mean, it's going, to make, it's going to be hard to go in that other direction, but I just don't think I... Husbands, love your wives. This slave concept will change a lot of marriages if you just see it. Single loyalty. Total obedience. That's what you want me to do. Not about me getting whatever I want. Love your wife. And then it says, wives, see that you respect her, her husband. Respect means to value that's a direct command. Ephesians 5.33. Respect. Yeah, but he has failed so many times in the last seven years of our marriage that I just don't... Respect. 
But you, Lord, you don't understand. He, he doesn't even, I don't know if he even loves me. I mean, he's not showing it. He's always doing his own thing. Respect. But Lord, no. Do it because it glorifies me, not because it makes you feel good. See, if, we, if we're in the marriage and doing the things that God wants us to do because it makes us feel good, we'll be up and down. But it, no, this is the master speaking. And by the way, the marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church, right? So whether you're the wife or the husband, you're picturing Christ. That's why we have to do it as such. That's a direct command. But, but let's, take the, let's take the servant. And there is no direct command because a lot of being a slave was knowing the master well enough to know how he, he would want you to respond even though he didn't tell you directly. You know, you're out in the field. How would he want me to respond? How would he want me to bring in the sheep? How would he want, you know? So in areas where there was no direct command given, they were to find ways to please the master as best they could, knowing the master, what he liked, his character. For us, it's his word. I mean, you can find that all over the place. The things I just showed you. Your abilities, your time, your energy, your wealth, your spiritual giftedness your relationships. See, there's a lot of things that the Bible says to do, love one another, but it doesn't tell you when. See, wouldn't it be great if the Bible told you, now I want you to be at church from 11 o'clock to 1230. Uh, I, I want you to make sure you get to three services every week. Uh, I want you to make sure you pray for 10 minutes. I mean, if the Bible gave you all that, then, then you, you, know, you could just have like a, you know, for some of us, our personalities, that would be great. You know, <laughs> you know what the Bible says? Well, this is what the Bible says. Singular loyalty. This is singular loyalty. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. All. So what it is is full singular devotion to Him. And then He gives you, a lot of times, they're not direct commands. They're principles. And then He says, now you have freedom. Freedom. Freedom to not follow sin. Freedom to love me that way. So, in your relationships, show how much you love me by how you deal with people. How you deal with your, your family. Do you, do you uh, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because you love me so much or because they're a reflection on you? Do you see the selfishness there? No, because I love the Lord. Okay, now I want you to pray. I'm not going to tell you you have to pray for 10 minutes or a half hour. But just know that however you pray is a real reflection of whether you truly love me and how you love me. And you don't have to get into the Word for a half hour a day to feel good about yourself. That's just a check mark. But just know that when you get into your Word, are you pursuing me and wanting to become more like me? Or is it just because you feel like someone's going to ask you? Oh, and by the way, I've given you the ability to earn. I keep coming back to money because I think that... What does it say? You cannot serve God and... It must be a big deal. By the way, then he says, next verse, Therefore, don't worry about what you eat, and what you drink, and your clothes, and where you live, because those are the things that money buys. See, sometimes we used to say, well, I'm not all you know, like, uh, hung up about money. Well, no, but are we all worried about everything else, or do we really believe that the Master will provide? So he says, okay, with the, what you have. He says, I'm not going to tell you. And the New Testament doesn't tell you. I, I really wish it would tell you. Hey, listen. Give 10% or you're not a Christian. That'd be easy. Or give 10% or you're not walking with Jesus. That'd be easy. It doesn't. It just says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And now I'm giving you these resources. Show how much you love me. Show, you know. And quite honestly, your checkbook is part. How you use your time in prayer and study and relationships and your spiritual giftedness. Those are all things that point to this is how I really love Jesus. Those are all indicators. Now, if you say, that's scary, I think in some of our lives it is. Because I think some of us would have to come to the conclusion, you know what, maybe I really don't love Jesus. In fact, some of you should come to maybe this conclusion. Maybe I'm not even a Christian. See, if, if you're on the, this path that says, it's my life, you're not going to tell me what to do, Christ is only fire insurance, that's not Christianity. Christianity is, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Him. Follow Him means to love Him with all your heart. None of us are perfect in that, right? Right? Do we understand? We're all struggling here. But that's the pursuit. That's the direction. And quite honestly, when we name those things that we have, those 
those uh, assets that we have in all those different areas, we should be willing to say, Lord, you change my heart in these areas because I want to show my love for you. Singular loyalty. Because as Corinthians says, therefore we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Two final ones, quickly. Number four, this is a characteristic of a slave. Total dependence. They were dependent on their owners for the necessities of life. That's why Matthew 6 says, Therefore, don't be anxious saying what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear. The Gentiles seek after all those things, unsaved. But, why don't seek after those things, and your Heavenly Father knows what you need. Now, I'm so glad he said Heavenly Father. Because what Jesus is, he just got done talking about slavery in verse 24. Master-slave talk. But now, see what he's doing, he's saying, but remember, remember, your slave, or excuse me, your master, your slave, your master is your father. I am a son of the king. Still a slave, but I am a son, and he takes care of us. He takes care of us. By the way, the, the, the food of a slave usually consisted of corn, sometimes grain, maybe a little salt and oil. Uh, Usually meat was not part of the diet. Uh, Sometimes uh, figs, salt fish, olives, vinegar, very, very simple. No variety. I mean, again, you want to take care of your investment, but you did not get the rich food. It was hard. And, And where they lived many times, if it was a big... Uh, plantation, I say plantation, it wasn't a big compound, a wealthy man. He might live in the same house in a small room, but many times if it was a small, I mean, if, if, you were, if you had an owner that was not very wealthy, it might even be somewhere out in the barn or hard. That's what I'm trying to get at, hard. Now, why am I saying that? Because the life of a slave on this earth as a Christian slave, slave of Christ, it may not be easy. I think we're trying to look for the comfort and all the ease here. Remember, this is just the dot. By the way, this is the dot. Eternity is the line. How you respond to slavery here determines how your, your responsibility is there. Boy, it'd be sad. It'd be real sad if we had all kinds of wealth here on this earthly dot and found that we were not faithful to Christ. And when we got there, yeah, we had a mansion in the sky, but it was like a shack. Nah, I don't want to go there. But the point is, is this. Your reward is based on how you respond to these truths. Okay? As Americans, I think we just think this way. Well, it's, it can be great and comfortable here and great and comfortable there. No. There are tears in heaven. I believe we are here to sacrifice. And the life of a slave was hard in the first century. And God may, may put you in a very hard spot. Don't rebel against that. See, God may give you a disease. Financial hardship. Relational problems. All the things that he can do. Hey, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get us to be more like Christ, to love him with all our heart. And all he says is this, just remember this, guys. This is just the dot. This is just the moment in time. This is not your real, your citizenship is not even here. Don't worry about this. And whatever God allows you to go through, just accept it and say, you're my master and you're good. Because if you don't see it that way, you might start going like this. I'm getting angry, God, and it's not at people or myself, it's at you. Because my life is not what I thought it should be. Deny yourself. Go back to slave mentality. Total dependence. And then finally, personal accountability. The audience of one. 2 Corinthians, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body, according to what has been done, whether good or worthless. It was the responsibility of the master to reward and to deal with his slave as he saw fit. And that's exactly what you see with Christ. That's exactly. We are his slaves. We work, we, we work for him and honor him, but we know that ultimately it will be him that, re, that rewards us. See, we look forward to that day because that was the responsibility of the master to reward his slave. And that's what happens for us. 
And we look forward to the day, don't we? We look forward to the day when we stand before the Master, and we'll see this in a moment, and He is able to say, and He will say this to everyone that is a true believer in Him, Well done, thou good and faithful slave. Let's stand as we worship Him.